onion out of the taste out of my mouth. I, th I think, you know, some of you may have shaken hands with me and you're like, no, you, the, the onion taste is still in your mouth. Trust me. But but I, I, I know this. I know this much for sure. When we play games at Wedstrong next year, Corey will be a contestant. <laughs> And I just, I, you know, I've got, a, I've got a little bit of time to think of some ideas that we could be working. Maybe you guys could help me if you have some, you know. Just let me know. I'm all ears, but I, but I can't wait. So anyway, man, it's like I said, good to see y'all. Let's, let's pray as we begin. Father, we, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. Thank you. We have the privilege of opening your word this morning. I pray that you'd speak to us and that you would do a mighty work. I pray you'd help me to get out of the way so that your word can do all the work, and we love you, in your name we pray, amen. And, and, and again, as Corey was saying, definitely a big thanks to the hands that went into last night. Obviously, Corey and Christy and the Gordon family, <laughs> was, that was a huge undertaking, a major labor of love, so yeah, so thank you so much for that. We definitely enjoyed the fellowship for sure. So, all right, let's go ahead and dive back into the book of Second Thessalonians. We are, man, we are working our way through, and we're almost, we're almost at the end. Um, actually, after today, we're, we're going to cover more ground than we, than we typically cover, so we're, we're very close to being to the end of, of this book already. Last week, the verses we were studying, they, they focused primarily on the Lord's faithfulness, and, and, and it focused on the Lord's faithfulness and, and the Lord's strength. We, we saw that, the, that last week, we saw that the Lord will be faithful to us to provide us strength, to provide us strength so that we can do all the things that we've been called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. And, and, and God wants to give us that strength. We have access to his strength, so there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to do what we've been called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. And, and so last week we finished verse 5 of chapter 3. And, and, and as we begin this morning, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the authors of the book, of course, they're going to turn the corner and they're going to begin to address a, a, an issue that had come up in the church of the Thessalonians. O over, over the course of two letters now to this same church, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, man, they, if you've been here, you know, they've been full and overrunning with encouragement and in commendations, but, but when we were in chapter 2, we saw that there were some things that specifically connected to end-time theology that needed to be addressed in this church. And, and now this morning, we're going to see some other issues that needed to be addressed in this church. And, and the issues have to do with believers in this church of the Thessalonians that were walking disorderly, is how it's described. And as is often the case, the methods that God prescribes for handling these types of situations and these types of people vary greatly from the way that most people in the world would advise us to handle a situation like this. Sometimes the way that, that God prescribes that we should handle specific situations can be a little bit unsettling, actually. And it's yet another case of God's wisdom and man's wisdom being in opposition to each other. You hadn't figured that out yet. I don't know where you've been. It's, it, it, and so we'll be seeing this morning that, that the way that God advises us to deal with those 
that walked disorderly in the church, it, it defies conventional methods. And so as we begin, let's go ahead and read some of the verses that we'll be studying, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. All right, what are we supposed to do with, with verses like that? You know, the idea of withdrawing ourselves from brothers that are walking disorderly, it can not only be unsettling, but in addition to that, it, 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 it isn't usually a portion of Scripture that pastors are just tripping over themselves to get to. <laughs> Right. This is this doesn't make for for, you know, you're not no one is going out of their way to get here. Right. If we're not going verse by verse, <laughs> you just aren't going to you just aren't going to cover this much. But despite that, listen, God believed that this topic was important enough to preserve in his word for us. And he preserved it in a letter written directly to us, the church. It's not written to another group of people in another period of time no it, it's not written to jews prior to jesus finished work on the cross it's not written to jews in the tribulation period no it's written to those of us living in the period of time that we're living in right now so we should perk our ears up to that <laughs> because though at a glance this may seem to be a portion of scripture that isn't quite as appealing and it certainly isn't quite as glamorous as other passages in our eyes that's not the way god sees it through his eyes and withdrawing ourselves from a believer, it sounds cold-blooded, and it, and, it, and it doesn't sound very spiritual, actually. <laughs> but remember, it's not a matter of whether or not something sounds spiritual. It's a matter of whether or not it's scriptural and biblical. Because if it's scriptural, it is by definition spiritual. And scripturally and biblically, there comes a time when we ought to withdraw ourselves and distance ourselves from a believer. And as we just read in verse 6, it's when that believer or when that individual walks disorderly. We're to withdraw ourselves from another believer when they walk disorderly. Verse 6 couldn't make that more clear. But, it, but I think that does beg the question, at least, what does that mean exactly? Right. What, what does that that entail? What does it mean when someone is walking disorderly? And so first I want us to see what walking disorderly is in general, what walking disorderly is in general. And, and there are a few things that we need to consider so that we don't misapply this passage that are very important. And, and as we look at what walking disorderly is, generally speaking, I, I want us to notice that the believer that we're to withdraw ourselves from is a believer that walketh disorderly, okay? It, it's not someone who acted disorderly in an isolated particular instance. If that was the case, 
we would all have to withdraw ourselves from ourselves and none of us would be talking. <laughs> okay, you know, that's basically the way that, that that would work. So we need to notice when someone is walking disorderly. It's a, it's a pattern. If, it, if it's the way someone walks, then along the path that they're walking over time, there's a pattern of disorderly behavior. So before we get any further defining what walking disorderly is in general, it's important that we notice that whatever it is, it's a pattern, not an isolated incident. And, and, and we get some more insight as to what walking disorderly is in a general sense as we continue studying verse 6 because it says, Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And then God defines that. <laughs> it says, that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Okay, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about this, this word tradition. This word is commonly used in the Bible in a negative context. And the key distinction in the Bible with the word tradition is some tradition in the Bible are man's tradition and other traditions in the Bible are God's traditions. There's a big difference. These were God's traditions, God's ordinances, God's commands. It's what we know as God's word. And then we see down in, in verse 14, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they go on to say, if any man believe not our word by this epistle, so, so I want you to see that it's, it's connected to not obeying truths that they were already taught. So, so one of the ways I believe we could define what walking disorderly is, is it's when a believer is not walking according to the truth of the word of God that they know. Do you see that? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're telling the Thessalonians that someone that walks disorderly is someone that's not walking according to, to the truth of God's word that they already know based on the traditions that they received as well as the epistle that they received the epistle we know as second thessalonians and you see not doing what we know is a telltale sign that there's a major problem in our walk with god because our lives scream out to god i still call the shots here because i still decide what parts of the bible i agree to follow and what parts i don't now, I get we would never, ever say that to God with our mouths like that. But our lives, oh my goodness, our lives say it to him all the time. Our lives say, God, I said you, I, God, I know you said do this. I'm doing that. God, I know that you've revealed to me these truths to your, from your word. I know you've revealed those to me. But the answer is no. And we fail to realize that when we accepted Jesus as Lord of our lives, the answer no was to be removed from our vocabulary with him. Do you realize the name Lord means to rule? And lacking rule is exactly what being disorderly is or what being unruly is. There's, there's, there's no order, there's no rule because someone is behaving like there's no Lord. It's when a believer isn't walking in the truth they know to do. And so individuals at the church at Thessalonica, they were considered disorderly when they didn't follow the word of God that they had received and knew, and there was a pattern of that. Now, it's important that we make a distinction here, though. 
There's a distinction that we need to make between those that are walking disorderly because they aren't adhering to the truths that they already know and those that are walking disorderly because there's a lot of truths that they don't know. There is a big difference there. Because there may be some people in this room or, or maybe somebody that you're discipling and building up in the faith and they have areas in their life where they're not walking according to the word of God. There are many folks like that within churches and, and there are areas of their lives where they're not walking according to God's word and it, and it isn't because they actually have an issue with lordship or that they're consciously rejecting the truth of God that they've received. Some of these people are people that who, who have not received certain truths yet in their life. Sometimes we're dealing with babies in Christ. There are times when people are walking disorderly simply because they've never been taught any different. Babies in Christ, man, they've got a lot that they don't know. They've got a lot of areas they may even be struggling to apply. And so we need to make that distinction because people like that are not the people that this passage is addressing. This passage is addressing those that know how God's word has called them to act and they're not doing it. The issue is not knowledge here. The issue is that the, it, the issue isn't that, that they don't know or that they're struggling as babies in Christ. The issue is that they do know and they're telling God no. <laughs> they are walking disorderly and not after the tradition that they received. So walking disorderly is when someone isn't walking according to the truth that they know and it's a pattern, but there's something else we see that walking disorderly is connected to in our passage. And we're about to see that it's, it's when a believer is not walking according to the truth of the word of God that they have had modeled for them. And, and, and of course, man, personal discipleship is, is so important because that is exactly one of the ways that we're to help someone not walk disorderly it's by watching our lives remember discipleship isn't just imparting information right it's imparting life it's life on life as as a disciple or those you are discipling should get more than you just telling them truths but they should watch those truths play out in our lives there, there's so much of the christian life that's caught and not taught you realize that when, when i look back at at my greatest influence in my life which is my dad when i look back at the 40 years that god blessed me with with him yes there are a ton of things that he taught me personally and, and he told me in word and there are a ton of things that i learned from him you know through his preaching even or, or things of that nature but i'm not so sure there's anything that's more impactful in my life today than the things that i caught from him beyond what he taught because at the end of the day man talk is cheap and what i watched modeled for me with a front row seat and hopefully caught is priceless <laughs> and god designed it so that there are those that would model for others the way that we're to act and that's part of how we're to learn so that we don't act disorderly god designed it so that as we disciple someone we'd look so we'd certainly speak truth to them but that then that disciple would have the ability to watch it be fleshed out in front of them. And when both of those things happen, man, we not only learn, but we do become extremely accountable, too. Of course, it's, it's reasonable to cut people some slack that have never had someone invest in their lives and walk through life with them and 
If, if, if all that happened was a guy said a prayer to be saved in a, in a service and he went on his merry way, and as a result his life is disorderly, this isn't who this passage is talking about. A person that's walking disorderly, according to the biblical definition, is someone who's had that. They, they've had the word invested in them, they've had the word lived out in front of them, and there's still a pattern of walking disorderly. So, so that's the way that walking disorderly is, is biblically defined in a general sense. But there's a, also a specific way that this passage defines walking disorderly. And so next I want us to see what walking disorderly is specifically. What walking disorderly is specifically. There, there was a very specific problem that Paul, Silas, and Timothy addressed with the church of the Thessalonians that is specifically defined as walking disorderly, and it has to do with working. Obviously, as we've already seen, this, this, this isn't the only way that someone can walk disorderly, but it's the way that is specifically addressed in this passage. And one of the specific ways that the Thessalonians were walking disorderly is, letter A, they weren't working. <laughs> they, they weren't working. Look at... Look at verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3 to see what I mean. Here's what, it, here's what they say. It says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our, our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Okay, so, so refusing to work is directly connected to walking disorderly. And as we've talked about, and, and as we continue to see in these verses, Paul, Silas, and Timothy had provided an example to them as it relates to working, so they had no excuse for their behavior. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, man, they went to great lengths to make sure the Thessalonians would work and wouldn't be mooching off of other people. Verse 8 says, Neither did they eat any man's bread for not. In other words, they didn't eat for free they weren't mooching off of people when they were there the rest of verse 8 says not only did they not eat for free they worked their tail off day and night they didn't just do just didn't do just enough to get by no they worked to the point of exhaustion they worked to the point of travail and painfulness even they and they did that so that they wouldn't be chargeable to them, or so that they wouldn't be an expensive burden to the Thessalonians. And they knew then that the Thessalonians could never go back and say that Paul, Silas, and Timothy pulled this whole charade together so that they could make a few bucks off of us. Now, now according to verse 9, they had the power and every right to receive compensation for their spiritual work. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about that. Financial compensation was a biblical and reasonable expectation, but they sacrificed that and they set it aside so that their motives wouldn't be questioned 
and they worked to pay their own way so that the gospel wouldn't be hindered, so that nothing would keep the gospel from having free course and being glorified in their lives. And so, and in light of verse 11 showing us that there were some folks that weren't working at all and were wanting others to pay their way for them, you can see why Paul, Silas, and Timothy chose to sacrifice the way that they did so that they could be an example for them. And listen, this same principle is what spiritual fathers and spiritually mature people do. And, and of course, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the Thessalonians' spiritual fathers. That, that they did the same thing that a good earthly father or a good physical father would do. If you're a physical father or earthly father, let's say there's a behavior, an activity, or a substance that one of your kids has a problem with that you feel like you're at liberty to partake in whatever that may be. Whatever that is is not relevant to the illustration. But if your kid has a problem with a behavior, activity, or substance, isn't it the most reasonable thing in the world to think that the kid's father might steer clear of it even if he thought he had liberty in that area? And that's exactly what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are doing as spiritual fathers in this passage. According to verses 8 and 9, in order to be an example and not a burden, though Paul, Silas, and Timothy had every right to be compensated for their work in the Lord, they sacrificed on behalf of their spiritual children that were struggling in that area and were feeling justified and others picking up the tab for them. Paul, Silas, and Timothy said, not only are we going to work, but we're going to work our tails off. And in addition to that, we're not even going to accept payment for it. So there were Thessalonian believers, they weren't working, and they expected others to foot the bill for them. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy come in, and they did work, and they were worthy of compensation, and they refused to accept it. That's quite the example they set, so that those that weren't working and were expecting help had absolutely no excuse. <laughs> They'd gone to great lengths to exemplify the opposite of what they were doing. <laughs> and that's what spiritual fathers do, and that's what spiritually mature people do. They see an issue that the spiritual family has and they model the proper way to behave and they sacrifice so that the family has what it's, it needs to be able to see how they should be acting. And, and they not only modeled this for them, they had already told them verbally when they were with them in person according to verse 10. They put it as simply and as concise as it gets. Verse 10 says that if any would not work, neither should he eat. In the beginning of the verse, man, it makes it clear this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. God made it real simple. If you won't work, then don't look to everybody else to pick up the slack. If you won't work, then you won't eat. Now, I do believe there's something worth clarifying about this command. Verse 10 says, if any would not work. Now, would implies that they could they could work, but they wouldn't. That, there was a, wasn't a health issue. We're not talking about someone falling on hard times because they were in between jobs or had a health concern. No, we're talking about people that have the ability to work and the opportunity to work, and they won't do it, and then they expect others to foot the bill. This had clearly become a problem in the church of the Thessalonians for whatever reasons that it was, and it's something that as a society we're still dealing with. So, so one of the specific ways that the Thessalonians were walking disorderly is they weren't working. And then in addition to not working, next I want us to see that they were busybodies. Letter B, they were busybodies. That's, that's what verse 11 says. They weren't working 
and they were busybodies. Now, a, a busybody is, is somebody that's getting into everyone else's business, but they're not taking care of their own business, <laughs> right? A busybody is someone that talks about other people's business. It's people that are meddling. They're, they're meddling and they're talking with others about things that aren't their business. Sure, we're to be involved in each other's lives. We're to hold each other accountable as believers in Jesus Christ within this local body. So in that sense, we're involved in each other's lives, but there's a big difference between holding someone personally accountable for something going on in their life and talking to other people about it. So being a busybody is when someone is gossiping and talking to others about things that do not concern them. And not working and being a busybody are two things that go hand in hand. There were those that were walking disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And there's a very important principle that we need to make sure that we glean from this verse. And it's that when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we inevitably find ourselves doing what we're not supposed to be doing. When we're not busy with the right things, we'll become busybodies and we'll become busy with the wrong things. Or we could say doing the right things keeps us from the wrong things. Listen, the Christian life, much to many people's surprise, the Christian life isn't just trying to stop from doing a whole bunch of bad stuff and stop from acting in a whole bunch of bad ways. It's not simply that we're to stop the bad, it's that we're to pursue the good. For example, how is it that we're to keep from walking in the flesh? Is it that we grit our teeth and suppress it? Is it that we constantly come before God? God, help me to stop. Help me to stop. Help me to stop. Every five minutes, help me to stop. It, and I'm not saying we shouldn't ask God to, to help us to stop, but, 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 <laughs> but, that we, but that's not how we primarily do it. We primarily, the way we do it isn't by focusing on the problem. It's by focusing on the solution. You don't solve the problem by focusing on the problem, but by focusing on the solution to the problem. So how is it that we keep from walking in the flesh? Galatians 5.16 puts it plainly. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, it, it, it's not just stopping walking in the flesh. It's starting walking in the Spirit. It's not just putting off. It's putting on. <laughs> So instead of doing what they were supposed to be doing and working, they inevitably found themselves doing what they weren't supposed to be doing, and they became busybodies. If they would have been pursuing the right thing, they wouldn't have gotten tangled up in the wrong thing. And that's an important principle for us to understand. But what we also need to understand as it relates to this thing of being a busybody is, is that we were designed to work. If we're not busy doing what God has called us to, we're going to find something to get into and being a busybody is at the top of the list. We're going to be busy doing something. When we're, when we're idle or inactive with the things that we ought to be doing, we find things to talk about. 1 Timothy 5.13 gives us a great principle concerning those that are idle. It says, and with all, they, they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, 
but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. When our hands are idle, inevitably our mouths are busy. Did you, did you hear what so-and-so said about so-and-so? Well, if you ask me, which nobody did, if you ask me, that's the, re- that's the reason that they should run, run, run. we should have known, and uh, you know, the, 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 this whole thing. And this is a behavior, it's a pattern <clears throat> in a lot of churches. And it's sad because really, the, typically the way that it works in a lot of places is, is those that do the least have the most to say about those that are doing something. <clears throat> those that don't give have the biggest opinion on where the money goes. And those who have the most issues in their lives have the loudest opinions on the perceived issues of others. And interestingly enough, those that heard everything that I just said and are thinking of all the other people that need to hear it are likely the ones that need to hear it the most. <clears throat> that's the sad reality in most churches. And, and so it's important that that's not us. Right? It's important that we find ourselves busy with what we've been called to be busy with, lest we find ourselves being busybodies. Because when we're busy serving the Lord in this church, and we're busy looking for ways to minister and to serve, and we're involved in discipleship, you run out of time to catch up on the latest gossip really quick. You just don't have time or desire for it because you're busy with the work that God has called us to do. Idle hands, though, ooh, just watch. Those with idle hands, they'll always find themselves in the middle of the drama, rest assured. Other people can too, but rest assured, if, you're, if you aren't busy with the right things, you'll inevitably be busy with the wrong things. That's what behaving disorderly looks like. There, there are other ways, but not working and being a busybody are ways that are specifically laid out for us in the passage that we're studying this morning. And then next, this passage gives us the remedy for those who are walking disorderly by not working and being a busybody, it's the, the, the remedy for walking disorderly. There's a, there's a very simple three-step process to remedy the problem in verse 12. 2 Thessalonians 3.12 says, Now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work, and eat their own bread. And in case there's any question as to, to where this command is coming from, or the severity with which we should approach it, Paul, Silas, and Timothy say they're commanding and exhorting the Thessalonians by our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of the command, and he says, with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So here's what it very simply and bluntly, concisely says. Be quiet. <laughs> get to work, take responsibility for your own affairs. That's what it says. God basically says, just take everything you're doing right now, do the opposite of that. <laughs> do the opposite of that. It's, not, it's really not that hard and that deep because when you do those things, man, it's amazing how much easier it is to not be a busybody. We're to be investing in people, not talking about them. But the remedy God gives, man, it's very, it's very, very simple remedy. Be quiet, get to work, and take responsibility. But like many things that are simple, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily easy in practice. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.11. In, in this verse, in the, of course, in the first letter that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote to the church of the Thessalonians, they said, And that ye study to be quiet 
and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. It's a simple concept. But in order to do what we've been called to do, we have to study the word study being connected to striving or, or laboring to do it. So you've got to labor to be quiet, do our own business, and in some cases, mind our own business and take care of our own affairs instead of telling other people about other people's affairs. Everybody likes to tell the hot scoop and have the, the, the new, fresh information. Man, everybody wants to spill the tea. And, but we've we got to labor to be quiet and worry about our own business. So, the, so the, that's the remedy for those that are walking disorderly. And, and so far this morning, uh, we, we've talked about those that are walking disorderly and what that is. And then, we've, of course, generally speaking, and, and what that is more specifically, we've seen. And, of course, then we just saw the remedy for it as well. And, and now in our passage, God's going to clear off some space and address those that aren't walking disorderly and give us some insight as to how we're to handle those that are. We're going to see the response to those who are walking disorderly. This is how we're, we're to respond. What we're going to see is essentially four biblical responses to walking, to those that are walking disorderly. This is, of course, again, written to the church, and this is how it's to be handled in the church. Clearly, there are unbelievers that are all over the world who are walking disorderly, but this is written so that we know how to handle it with believers in the church. And the first response that those of us that are not walking disorderly, <coughs> excuse me, the first response that those of us should have to those that are not walking disorderly is that we just don't get weary in the midst of it. Don't, don't get weary. Verse 13, it says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing, but, but, but ye, or, or those of you who aren't walking disorderly, don't be weary in well-doing. Because the reality is, is that people that walk disorderly can wear you out. If you're not careful, they can discourage you. They can burn you out. They can cause you to feel defeated. So don't get weary out there. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says something similar. Paul, he's just talked about the principle of sowing and reaping here. And man, that's a, a wonderful principle for those of us that are doing the right thing. And, and on the heels of that, Paul says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. God's trying to encourage us to keep going. It, it doesn't mean that we keep pouring into people that aren't receptive to it or that are walking disorderly. It means that when we're dealing with people like that, we don't let it discourage us or sideline us from continuing to invest in other people who do want it. And we don't have to keep pouring into people that aren't wanting what we're offering. We don't have to. But we keep pushing forward and ministering to others that do want it, and we don't get weary in well-doing because as we push forward, we will eventually reap all the good that we've sown, and we will be fruitful. So if you're someone who's been slugging it out in there and you've been slugging it out in the trenches and, man, you just feel like you can't catch a break with all the people that you've discipled or you've tried to pour into, don't get weary in well-doing, okay? 
Your season of fruitfulness is coming, man, but you've got to keep pushing forward. Never forget that, or you're going to find yourself taking a year or two break, licking your wounds, and we don't have time for that. Your life is a vapor, and Jesus is coming back soon, man. There's, there's no time to keep licking your wounds. We can't get weary in well-doing, y'all. And then the next thing that we're to do in, in response to those that are walking disorderly is, is that we're to note them, the passage says. We're to note them. Verse 14 says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. Listen, we, we take a, a mental note of him we don't go tell everybody that there's a particular person that we believe may be walking disorderly in our midst no we be, we we don't become disorderly ourselves by becoming a busybody and telling everybody about it no we make a note of them sometimes it's not hard to see that something ain't right with this that guy there you know what i mean so <laughs> So if you recognize that, man, you make note of them so that you know how to assess things moving forward because the next part of the verse says that if someone's walking disorderly, let her see, we're to have no company with them. That's how we're to respond. We're to have no company with them. That's what verse 14 says. So you make a note of them, and as you process everything, you know, as you process all these things that you believe that you've come across with a particular individual who is walking disorderly, then you disassociate yourself with them. We've already talked about withdrawing ourselves from the disorderly. But understand, we're, we're not talking about someone that's behaved disorderly. We're talking about someone who's walking disorderly and there is a pattern in their life because it's really easy to throw the wrong people into this category when they behave disorderly but aren't necessarily walking disorderly, especially if that disorderly behavior they exhibited was towards you, <laughs> right? We, we don't get to lump everybody into this category just because the offense was directed at us. But for those that are believers who are truly walking disorderly and it's a, and it's a pattern of their life, we're not to fellowship with them and i know that sounds unsettling and i know that that sounds harsh but you tell me what that verse is saying if that's not what it's saying <laughs> right i'd love to hear your take on it if that's not the plain teaching that we're getting from this thing there can be some subjectivity to identifying those that are walking disorderly no doubt but once they have been identified it, then it, it's about as plain as it can be that we don't associate with them and according to this verse, that goes for any man. Any man that's a believer that's walking disorderly. But that's my homeboy, and we go way back. Any man. But that's a big dog in the community, and he gives a lot to the church. Any man. Doesn't matter who it is. And there's a reason the Bible teaches us where to do that. The end of verse 14 says why? That he may be ashamed. That he may be ashamed. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and now you're a new creature, man, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you've got the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you and empowering you. And despite that, you're walking disorderly. You should be ashamed. You should be ashamed of yourself. And God's teaching us that since they clearly aren't ashamed of their behavior, 
The, the plan is that their fellow believers in Jesus Christ would disconnect from them in hopes that maybe that would bring them to a place of shame. But in order to, to balance that out, and just in case there were those that would run to this verse to justify being a jerk to those that they come across, next we see that we're not to count them as an enemy, but admonish them as a brother. That's very key in this whole thing. We're not to count them as an enemy, but we're to admonish them as a brother. That's what verse 15 says. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You see, this is the heart behind withdrawing ourselves from a believer who's walking disorderly so that they will be ashamed. It's not because they're our enemy. We admonish them or warn them because they're family. That's our brother out there, man. That's our sister out there. If we withdraw ourselves from a, a, a believer who we believe is walking disorderly and we do it with disdain in our hearts as if we're dealing with an enemy, then we're in the wrong too. Because it has to come from a place of understanding that person is a part of our spiritual family. They're not an enemy, man. That's a brother. There's a, there's a way to withdraw ourselves without being ugly. There's a way to have no company with them without being judgmental and hateful. And the way you do that is by remembering you're in the same family. We're in this thing together. You got the same dad. See, withdrawing ourselves from a brother or sister that's walking disorderly so that they feel ashamed isn't so that they'll feel ashamed and so God can rub their nose in it and we can kick them while they're down and, and you know, put them in their place because they should be ashamed. No, the reason is so that they'll be ashamed and stop doing what they're doing and they'll go from living disorderly to living orderly. <laughs> that's what this is all about. And listen, Maybe some of you are, have been listening to this message this morning and maybe you're coming to the realization that you've been walking disorderly. You're not doing what you know and you know better because you've heard it and you've had it modeled for you. God's saying, it's time to stop talking. It's time to stop having idle hands and it's start, time to start getting involved around here. There are those here that are navigating dealing with the disorderly. And what God has done for us this morning, y'all, he's, he's shown us how to not get burnt out in those situations and not get weary because you don't have to keep investing in those that don't want your investment. And if you're dealing with someone that's disorderly, we've seen that we're to withdraw ourselves from them, not because we hate them, not because they're an enemy, but because they're family and we love them and we desire to see them turn a corner and get right in their life with God. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I pray that we would follow your word wherever it leads us, God, even when it leads us to uncomfortable places, even when it leads us to unsettling places, God. You left that in here for us, for the church, for a reason. God, if there are those in here who are feeling convicted of walking disorderly father would you would you help them to follow the the remedy in this book would you help us to not be a church of busybodies? god would you would you help us to be a church that is has so many laborers that we just don't have time for any of that nonsense i pray that would be the case for us father would you help tally harbin baptist church to be that place 
God, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. Would you help us to, those of us that are, aren't walking disorderly, God, would you, would, you, would you help us to deal with those that are in the proper way? Would you help us to be able to see when someone is truly walking disorderly and when we need to disconnect? And would you help us to decipher when we're just mad that something happened to us? Please give us the clarity in those situations. And I pray that the result would be that more people come back into a more intimate relationship with you. In your name we pray. Amen.